just uh, fixing up the gear here. Hang on, just a minute. All right, I'm going to pray. Please join me. Our loving Father, we thank you that we can come to you knowing that you see us and knowing that you know us, knowing that you understand our hearts, our fears, knowing that you know where we're at. We thank you that you speak into us, into wherever we are, in a way that we can understand and in a way that both challenges and encourages us. And so we ask that you might speak clearly now, help us to hear you, open our hearts to your word, so that we might learn how to follow your son Jesus in both the good times and in the hardest times, that we might place our faith in your son Jesus, who died and rose for us. All right, well, uh, one of the, let's start again. This passage that we're looking at tonight is, really hangs around this theme of hoping against hope. And it addresses one of the hardest things that a Christian can experience. Uh, I don't know if this is something that you've experienced. But when your faith feels weak or wavering as a Christian, it can be a very isolating and scary thing. Uh, It can be a dangerous thing as well as sometimes you end up trying to kind of construct your life without God in it. Uh, Sometimes these things happen, we we struggle to trust God because maybe something terrible has happened to us or or to someone we love Uh, or maybe it's because there's something we really wish would happen but it doesn't or at least it doesn't happen when we want it to. Uh, It could be something like struggling with poor health, or it could be uh, grieving over someone we've lost. It could just be the grind of day by day that kind of wears us down. Uh, It it could be our experience of Christian community, our experience of church that kind of disappoints us. Or it might be that we just have a whole lot of questions and doubts that we haven't been able to find answers to. And so for any of these reasons, we might find it hard to trust God's promises. Uh, If that's something you have experienced, let me say that none of that is uncommon. One of the most comforting things as we turn to the Bible is that we find it's not uncommon there either. Some of the great, uh, greatest, most famous leaders of the Christian faith, in fact, we find as we open the Bible have experienced these very same struggles with doubt. And that's what we find tonight. So, what are we to do when trusting God seems difficult or even impossible? That's really what we're wrestling with as we continue this series uh, looking at Romans and particularly Romans chapter 4. In the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, you might remember uh, that um, Paul has been talking about things like how do we belong in God's family? And who belongs in God's family? It's all been about belonging by faith in God's family. Well, tonight he moves on from that to focus more on what's it like to belong in God's family. What is this experience of faith like? 
And as, as, as he does that, he makes it clear that God doesn't promise it will be easy. He doesn't promise us our faith will be solid or strong, but he does promise us, he does give us powerful promises to hold on to. And as we've seen uh, throughout this chapter, he asks us as we wrestle with this to cast our minds back to an ancient story, to cast our minds back to the life of a man called Abraham who we meet in the Old Testament. This man Abraham who was both the father of the Jewish people but also the father of people from all nations who put their faith in the God of Abraham. And so tonight we come to Abraham's story. We're, we're exploring the struggles that he endured with faith. And I'm hoping that this will provide us with some clarity about what it is that we can hang on to. And actually, I'm hoping a little bit more than that. I'm, I'm hoping that we can see that even in times of doubt or disappointment, we can actually grow in faith. So let's have a look at the passage, Romans chapter 4, verses 16 to 25. We're going to move through three things. Firstly, the fickleness of faith when faith fails. Yes, Jack likes the alliteration. The focus of faith. It's even better than last week. What faith sees. And finally, the future of faith where faith ends. So let's begin. If you've got a Bible there in front of you, it'd be really good to have it open to Romans chapter 4. We're also going to dive back into Genesis uh, and you can dive back literally, not literally, uh, metaphorically, by opening your Bible to uh, Genesis at the time, uh, or sometimes I'll just put the verses up on the screen. So uh, let's start with Romans chapter 4. Uh, it, it, verses 16 and 17 in this passage, the first couple of verses uh, that were read for us, are, are really kind of like a transition from what Paul's been speaking about to what he wants to go on with now. And so in these verses, he's taking us back to Abraham's life and the promise that God made to him. Uh, he's reminding us of the way that God called Abraham to be part of his family and that he promised to bless not just Abraham and his family, but that through his family, he would bless the nations of the world. And so we've seen that this was God's project to renew humankind. And, and so Paul is reminding us of this. He's reminding us of what we've seen throughout this chapter, that Abraham's place in God's family didn't depend on anything Abraham had done. It didn't depend on Abraham proving himself. Actually, Abla Abraham's place rests on God's grace. It's just by trusting that God will do what he's promised to do. And so that's what Paul writes there in verses 16. He says, for this reason, it, that's Abraham's place in God's family, his righteousness. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of us. Now, the take-home message here is that because, like Abraham, our place in God's family rests on God's grace, it means that God's family, that the doors are open wide. It's not limited to people from one particular place or race or gender or social status. It is open to anyone who shares in Abraham's faith. That's kind of like Paul summing up what we've seen so far and now moving into this next part because it raises a really 
huge question for us. You know, if, we, if it's by faith that we belong in God's family, you know, what kind of faith does it take? Does it have to be a really, really impressive kind of faith? Because as we read through this passage, that's the kind of faith that Abraham seems to have. Did you notice that? Paul describes him in such glowing terms over and over. You see there from verses sort of uh, 17 to 21, he he says, he believed, verse 17. He believed, verse 18. He did not weaken in faith, verse 19. No distrust made him waver, verse 20. He grew strong in his faith, verse 20. He gave glory to God, verse 20. He became fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's how Paul describes Abraham's faith. And you're probably sitting there saying, that sounds just like me. Or not. You know, where does this leave us if we sometimes struggle in faith? Does it mean we need a faith that, like Abraham's, doesn't weaken or waver in order to belong? Is that what Paul's saying? Well, no, it's not. Um, When we turn back to Genesis and actually read the account of Abraham's life, we find this could not possibly be true because we find a faith, we find Abraham's faith is anything but solid or strong. And we get this tiniest hint here, just a little hint in Romans chapter 4, when Paul says that Abraham was hoping against hope. You know, amongst all those glowing terms about Abraham's faith, those three words give us this little hint that maybe Abraham's faith was more complicated and less perfect than we might otherwise assume. So let's go back to Genesis and try to understand more about Abraham's faith. Uh, You you don't need to, you can flick back if you like, Genesis chapter 12 might be the place to start, but I'm going to move through the first few chapters pretty quickly. Here's a little summary. There are these three great defining moments in Abraham's life, and this is one of the things that first stands out as we try to understand Abraham's faith. We've looked at this over the last couple of weeks. So in Genesis chapter 2, God appears to Abraham and he promises this blessing to Abraham and through Abraham to the nations. Then in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham's worrying. He's thinking, how could we possibly have a child you know, I'm old and, and Sarah's barren. This, this seems unbelievable. And God takes him outside at night and he says, look at the stars. He says, so shall your descendants be. You're going to have a family like the stars in the sky. And then finally in verse 17, uh, sorry, chapter 17 of Genesis that we looked at last week, God then gives Abraham a sign so that he can be sure that he and his descendants belong in God's family. And so these three great moments, they're sort of like these three pillars, these great poles on which hang the story of Abraham's faith. And they show that Abraham believes God's promise. But there's these gaps between the pillars. And when we look at the moments between the pillars, well, then we see another side. Because actually sometimes God's promise was hard to believe. Uh, As I mentioned, Abraham and Sarah were childless. And they were very old. You might remember how Paul described their situation in Romans chapter 4 verse 19. 
it wasn't very kind. He said Abraham's body was as good as dead. And, and actually in the Greek is more brutal than that. He says Abraham's body literally says was already dead. A- and he's kind of, he's exaggerating. But you get the point. He wants us to know this guy was just, he was on his last legs. How could he possibly have a baby? Yeah, he and Sarah had probably given up on the possibility decades before. And so one commentator just notes how ridiculous this promise must have seemed. He says everything in, in Abraham's world, sorry, everyone in Abraham's world, like everyone in ours, knew perfectly well that if a couple were childless but, but beyond the age of 50, let alone approaching 100, they were likely to remain that way. God's promise was hard to believe. And so in Genesis 16, in the gap between these pillars, Abraham and Sarah decide they'll take matters into their own hands. And Sarah tells Abraham to sleep with their servant Hagar so that he could have a child through her. And Abraham happily obliges. See, they don't trust God to keep his promise. They feel like it's up to them to try to preserve the family line, and so they take matters into their own hands. Uh, Abraham sleeps with Hagar. She gives birth to a son called Ishmael. And all this happens immediately after. You know, God has just declared Abraham as righteous. It is a tragic failure of faith. And it's actually just one of many failures in Abraham's life and throughout his life there are there are these other moments as well where he struggles to believe there's this time in Genesis 17 where God speaks to Abraham and he reminds him of his promise and how does Abraham respond in in Genesis 17 17 he says what a joke you can't be serious see that up on the screen Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He said to himself, can a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Can Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? Yeah, good one, God. See, sometimes when Abraham considered his body, which was as good as dead, his sagging skin and his arthritic joints and his sunspots and his fading sight, and when he considered Sarah's womb, which had remained childless, year after year sometimes God's promise seemed very hard to trust and so instead he pinned his hopes on Ishmael you know this is the other side of Abraham's faith when his faith was as frail as his body and I reckon it's just helpful for us to sit with that you know because Abraham is known as like a father of the faith but it doesn't mean that his faith was always solid or strong actually in the end we see Abraham was just like us and this is really important for us to remember when we struggle to trust God when we're hoping against hope when we want our situation to change but it never does when we are tempted to make life work without God in it. You know, when we are in danger of failing at faith, we need Abraham's story. 
because even though Abraham is a lot like us, his faith doesn't end in failure. Paul says, hoping against hope, he believed. So how can that be? That's what we want to know. So that brings us to our second point, the focus of faith. The key thing for us as we try to understand how we can move from a faith that struggles to trust in God to a faith that believes he will keep his promises is what faith sees. You know, when God's promise is hard to believe, do you, do you only see your weakness, your frailties, or do you see God's strength? That's the point Paul's making in verse 19. He says, when Abraham considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about 100 years old, and when Abraham considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, he did not weaken in his faith. Why was that? Because even though the weakness of his body made God's promise look impossible, Abraham looked past that weakness and he saw God's strength. Yeah, God's promise that, that they would have a son seemed ridiculous. But when Abraham saw who God was who made that promise, then he could believe. See, who was this God that Abraham could see? In verse 17, Paul says, He's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's why Abraham believed. Do you see, this is the key to faith. The key to faith is not how strong it is, but what you place your faith in. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story, uh, an illustration about this. He, uh, he says, imagine that there's two people catching an airplane and one of them is completely freaking out. They hate catching airplanes and so they're stressed out of their brain. They're, they're worried that the thing, you know, might not take off and if it does that it's kind of going to crash somewhere. And so the, one of these guys is, is sitting there and he is, he is so stressed, his fingerprints are like permanently embedded in the, the arms on the seat. But the other person, he, he, thinks, he thinks planes are wonderful. You know, he's, he's chilled. He's, he's just looking forward to hours of uninterrupted watching of movies. No, no way of checking his emails or responding to texts. He's totally chilled. Both these guys get on the plane. Which one will make it to their destination? Hopefully both of them. Why? Because the strength of their faith doesn't make the slightest difference as to whether they get there. What matters is the strength of the plane. What matters is what you put your faith in. Now this is nowhere more apparent than in Genesis 21 and 22. 
because through all of Abraham's wavering and all his doubts and all his attempts to take matters into his own hands and try to produce an heir without, without God's help by getting Hagar pregnant, through all of that, what do we see? We see that God keeps his promise. Abraham doesn't keep up his end all the time. But God always keeps up his end. And so in Genesis 21 there, we read that Sarah finally falls pregnant. And she gives birth to a boy called Isaac. And just can you imagine their faces in that moment after years of hoping against hope? You know, whereas previously they'd laughed in disbelief. It's a joke. Now she laughs with joy. Sarah says, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God is faithful. Abraham sees that he can trust God's promise. And yet right here, at this kind of climax to the story, two things happen which test Abraham's faith. The first thing that happens is that his wife Sarah, uh, having just been full of joy, suddenly turns really nasty and decides to kind of take things out on Hagar and her son Ishmael. Apparently Hagar had gloated uh, about the fact that she'd been able to have a child with Abraham and while Sarah's womb was empty. And so now Sarah decides to get some revenge and she just casts Hagar out along with Ishmael to fend for themselves in the wilderness. She's basically sending them out to their deaths. And so we meet Abraham here, and he's just kind of caught in the middle. He's like just kind of one of those guys who's just kind of standing there looking at Sarah, Hagar. He doesn't really know what to do. And so God comes to him and promises that he will keep Ishmael safe. And Abraham believes him. And so Abraham lets them go. And then God appears again. In Genesis 22, we read these sobering words. After these things, God tested Abraham. God says, Abraham. And he replies, here I am. And God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. What will Abraham do? He's just entrusted his first son into God's hands. How could he possibly hand over Isaac to him? Will he do it? Well, he won't do it if he considers, if he only considers his body, which is as good as dead, and Sarah's barren womb. You know, if he only sees the human equation then there's no way that he will risk the life of his remaining son. No, what he'll do is, once again, he'll take matters into his own hands and try to protect his family line in his, with his own kind of schemes and, and his own abilities. But instead, Abraham trusts God's promise. And so he does what God says. He, he and Isaac set off to make an, a sacrifice. And you can imagine it's like a camping trip and they've got all the gear and maybe they've got kind of the kindling and the things to light the fire with. But Isaac looks around and he realizes they're missing the most important thing. Dad, why haven't we brought the lamb? 
and Abraham was like, God will provide the lamb. The tension increases. So just listen to the next bit in Genesis 22. I'm going to read it for you. It's Genesis 22, starting at verse 9. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Now, of course, there is no doubt that this is a deeply disturbing account. It's, it's one of those parts of the Bible that kind of raises more questions than it answers. But there's one thing this passage makes very clear. The key to faith is what you place it in. See, Abraham's story is not a story of perfect faith that never questions or doubts. It's not the story of a faith that is solid and strong. It is the story of a man who learns that God is solid and strong. That a man who learns that God gives life to the dead. A man who meets the God who can call things into existence where they did not exist. And so who can keep his promises even when they seem impossible. This is the God who gave life to Isaac who was as good as dead. This is the God who called into existence a ram as a substitute. And so Abraham's faith rests on this God's promise. Which is why even though sometimes his faith was weak, God still counted it as righteousness. And so that brings us to our final point. The future of faith. Where do, what, what does this mean for us? That's what Paul wants us to grab hold of here at the end of chapter 4. He wants us to see that all of this was written not just for Abraham, but for us. And so you can see there in verses 23, he writes, Therefore, Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words that was reckoned to him were not written, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. You know, we, we keep coming across this word righteousness as we work our way through Romans, and I, and I keep kind of defining it, and so some of you are probably really sick of, of hearing about it, but maybe some of you have never heard the word before, and so I'll explain it again. This word righteousness is just a way of speaking about our relationship with God. It's the idea of things being in line with a standard, and so here it is the idea of us being in line with God. And, and over and over, Paul keeps saying, you know, it, it wasn't Abraham's obedience that made him righteous. In fact, he was often out of line with God. But God reckoned his faith as righteousness. It was because he trusted God's promise that God made him right with him. 
Uh, one commentator draws out some implications from this. He writes this. What Paul is saying here is that in Abraham's faith, human beings are put back together again and enabled to rediscover what a genuinely human life is like. Just think about that for a minute. He's saying here that this kind of faith of trusting in God's promise is exactly what we were made for. And so as Abraham puts his trust in God, this is the beginning of something. By trusting in God's promise to renew humanity, there's a reversal going on. God is reversing the distrust that cuts humanity off from God. And he's holding out his righteousness to us. So in verses 24 and 25, that's what Paul says. He says, it will be reckoned to us. Reckoned isn't like I reckon this, I think. Reckoned there means like counted. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, and who was raised for our justification. See, just as Abraham could look and see God's faithfulness in the birth of Isaac, so we can look and be certain that God will be faithful to us as we look at Jesus. Because God holds out this, this promise to us. He, he reaches into our doubts and disappointments and he calls us back. The God who brought life to as good as dead Abraham offers life to all even when your faith is as good as dead. The God who spared the life of Abraham's son did not spare the life of his only son. When he handed Jesus over at the cross, this God provided the lamb for us. This is the promise God holds out that we can take our place in his family along with people from all nations in his new creation as a renewed humanity that is brought back into line with God and each other. This is the promise he holds out to us throughout the Bible. And so we find it there at the very end. John describes this picture of what it will look like to live in this new creation. He writes this in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I'm making all things new. Now, this is certainly not a promise that, you know, all of life is just suddenly going to turn out however, how we want it to. Now, after all, we, we follow in the steps of a crucified Savior. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, faith will be easy or that doubts will slide away. It's not like a magic solution that instantly makes our weak faith strong. But here we do have a hope 
that sustains us when we waver. Because it is a hope that is built on the faithfulness of God. It doesn't depend on us at all. And so I want to just finish now by pointing out two ways that this promise helps us when our faith is weak, just quickly. Firstly, what this means for us is that when our faith wavers, we have somewhere we can turn. We have a place where we can see the God who brings life to the dead. We can see how he brings life to us. That place is the cross, of course. On the cross, we see Jesus whose faith never wavered. We see Jesus who put himself into human hands. We see Jesus dying in our place so that we can entrust ourselves into God's hands. You know, when we're struggling in the present or when we're despairing for the future, the cross is where we can focus our faith. Second, It means that even when you are at your weakest, your faith can still grow strong. In fact, it often works that way. It's often in our weakness, when we're most broken down, that we learn what it means to trust in God. You might look at your, your frailties, you might look at the doubts that you have, you might be really depressed by the sin in your life that you keep hidden from everyone else, but you might think that there's just no possibility that you can change. You might just kind of see impossible written everywhere you look. You might think that God is just going to give up on you and you might as well give up on him. But if Abraham's faith teaches us anything, it's this. You can be nearly 100 years old and as good as dead and have a faith that is as fickle as your 100-year-old body and still even then, God can make your weak faith strong. It's never too late. You know, the weakening of Abraham's body didn't lead to the weakening of his faith. Because in the end, he saw that God is faithful. And Paul finishes this passage by pointing us to Jesus because he wants us to see the same thing. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see that God provides the lamb. And so even our weak and wavering faith can grow strong when we see how God is faithful. The key to faith is what you place it in. And so, One of the ways we do that is by singing together of the goodness that God has shown us in Jesus. So let's stand and do that now.